Alaska's Newsmakers. Action Line KINY. Hello, everybody. You are listening to Action Line provided through KINY. I am your host, Jordan Lewis, and joining me for the show today, I have Representative Sarah Hannon. How are you doing today? Well, we're back to winter today, Jordan. After a couple of blazing, sunny days, it's thick snow. Yep, and I already missed the sun because I got stuck at that light for like five minutes. <laughs> well, I had my my favorite, and I guess I should just say as a caution, People, put your headlights on. Drive oh, yeah. with your headlights on. You should do it all the time, but especially if the light is gray and uh, your car color is light. You blend in. and um, Oh, yeah. Yeah. The thing, I always agree with that, but the thing that annoys me is there's some folks who have like those really bright LED lights, and then they think my lights aren't on because I don't have LED lights. Right. And so then they flash at me, and I'm like, do you not? Do you not see my lights are on? They're just not your lights. Right, right. And none of us like those LED lights shining in our rearview mirror, shining through our windshield. But um, goodness knows, on these flat light days, or, you know, right now it's very snowy out, you can't see. And somebody was turning and they didn't have lights on. Um, their brake lights barely showed because they had snow all over their bumper and... I was just channeling my dad's favorite cranky when he was teaching. I always have your headlights on. Make sure you've cleared off your tail. Right. <laughs> now, I've listed a couple of bills I know that you're working on so that I can ask you about them. The first one I want to check in about, which is HB7. That's the Office of Administrative Hearings. So talk to me a bit about that bill. Uh, so it's actually a, a really mundane bill. So administrating hearing judge. So... It's not my bright idea. It's a bill that's been around before. Um, Administrative law judges are judge. They serve as adjudication when you've got issues within an agency branch, but it's not going to court. You're not suing the state. The state's not suing you, but there's some conflict that arises. Um, And it... Um, my recollection, it's maybe it's 20, 25 years ago that these administrative law judges were created to take them, bur- lessen some of the burden of the criminal court or civil court process, formal court process, for things that were within state agencies. At the time, when they did that, they prescribed certain things like to be an administrative law judge hearing any of our tax case issues, you have to have, I think it's five years, it could be three, there are a couple provisions, of tax law in Alaska. Well, we don't actually have that many people who work in tax law because we don't have that many taxes. So through the years, that becomes a really hard criteria to meet. And the recommendation has been, there are several places within the administrative law hearing officer judges that we could modernize it. And changing that from having that tax experience in Alaska to just having tax experience, right? So maybe you did it in another state. Um, You'd still have to be an, an attorney who's passed the Alaska bar, those kinds of things. So it's been I describe it as a modernization of the administrative law uh, positions. 
Gotcha. Okay. Now, there was two more bills I wanted to hit, and then I had a very big topic, but I want to make sure I hit the bills first. That's kind of just how I always have my mindset. Let's hit bills first, and then when I get to the I know will be more charged topic, we'll get to that one. The next one I have here is HB 43, which was the conversion therapy prohibitions, which remember, I think we talked about that a little bit before. Yep, we did. There's no... uh, No movement there? No. no. Okay. Um, We've asked for... uh, we, we uh, this majority had said that it was going to be their goal to give every bill that had a request for a hearing a hearing. They, they gave me a hearing last year. So we put in a request to see if we could get a second bill hearing and public testimony, but um, I, I suspect it won't happen. You feel like you've, that's just kind of been walled? At this point, uh, nothing. It's not a wall. It's just uh, there's no action happening, and I suspect it's not right. We we have a lot of big topics that have to be addressed in the second half of a legislative session, right? Um, and I just suspect that one that uh, did not seem to you know the 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 committee chair is not an advocate of the bill. Therefore, since he gets to set the agenda for his committee, I suspect he's not going to have another hearing on it. Gotcha. Now, the last big bill I wanted to hit before I hit the the other big topics is HB 176. Now, that's for the age for tobacco, nicotine, e-cigarettes, and the like there. How's that one been progressing? Well, now that one, there's a companion bill, a Senate bill, that has passed the Senate and actually uh, has a hearing this afternoon. So I'm going back to observe the Labor and Commerce Committee um, taking up the Senate version. And that's when you have a companion bill, uh, once it moves to the opposite body, it meets its companion wherever its companion is. So that bill, the House version had been assigned to the House Labor and Commerce Committee, and the Senate bill has passed the Senate and is now having its first hearing in House Labor and Commerce today. Okay, so I'll have to, I'll get jazz yeah. on that one. Yeah, and it's, you know, that bill does two things. It institutes a state tax on vaped nicotine products, which currently do not have a state tax on them, and raises our tobacco nicotine product purchase age to 21, which is what the federal law has been changed to. It changed... Um, four years ago under President Trump, it's what the military uses, it's what all federal uh, jurisdictions use. The majority of states have already complied with that uh, because there, there's some long-time litigation, uh, a settlement, it's called the Tobacco Multi-State Settlement Trust, And one of the things in that for your state to continue to get your money that's allocated out on a formula based from the tobacco settlement, you have to comply with current federal laws on tobacco. And uh, we are one of the states that risks losing our tobacco settlement money because we are not compliant thus far. And um, just... I've heard uh, some murmurings that that's a sticking point for several members of the committee, but we'll see. Because again, haven't haven't seen them. You know, many of the members in the House, seventeen freshmen, 
they haven't had any discussion about this bill. The previous legislature we did, the 32nd legislature, we got the bill passed, and then the governor vetoed it. Right, but we're running it again, um, and it's uh, Senator Gary Stevens uh, is the sponsor on the Senate, and we've worked on it together for six years now. Gotcha. Now, speaking of the governor, I want to get your takeaways from his State of the State address and some of the points that he had talked about in there. The first one I want to hit is the conversation about the BSA, because that's been a, I mean, that's going to continue to be a hot topic. It was a hot topic before. It's still a hot topic. What were some of your thoughts on, I'm assuming you had seen the State of the State address. Yes, I was there and, and heard him. Um, I, I didn't get much information that was new. We had a lot of uh, points and references. You know, we, the, doc, the governor said, I think it was 35 since he's been governor, has had 35 emergency declarations responding to emergencies. And then one of the guests he highlighted was the mayor of Wrangell, who had one of the more severe emergencies of this last year. But then he didn't talk about what, he ne- what we need to do to address emergencies in Alaska, everywhere from do we have enough funding to we need to do more infrastructure. You know, one of the things we know after Wrangell's mudslide, their dam um, is at risk of failure, and that would produce a whole other slide and slump, and there's some money in the capital budget to address it. But uh, I would have thought, because he led with We've had 35 emergency declarations, and then a while later introduced the mayor and, you know, talked about how those communities in the area came together. But then I didn't hear anything about, and now what? What do we do with that information? We're, you know, whether we're going to put more money into disaster response, or we want to be more proactive, or we want to have more National Guard trainings in disaster response, or we want to increase dam inspection. Um, so there was a lot of uh, introduction to themes, but I didn't get much action of what you're going to do about it. Right. Like he's like, here's a thing, but then there's like no meat to the statement. Yeah. And I would say as a teacher who sometimes did speech and debate coaching, you, you gave me an intro, you caught my attention, but you didn't give me your supporting statements and conclusion to know what you wanted me to do with your intro. Gotcha. Now, what are, you, what are your thoughts on his teacher incentive idea, this idea that it was like, oh, pay more to the teachers directly? Well, I've got a lot of thoughts on it, and I guess I'll start backwards with he's starting to use, he's used the phrase in a press conference this week that it's an experiment. So again, using my teacher voice, I would say, well, in an experiment, I need to know what your hypothesis is and then how you're going to analyze it, right? So if your goal is to improve retention of employees by giving them a bonus, then are you giving them the bonus after they sign their contract for a second year? Right now, as it is, you just get the bonus at the end of the year, okay? is, is your experiment that you think, um, because he also said in his press conference this week that people don't want a retirement, young people don't want a retirement system, they're more interested in having uh, portable money. 
which okay. I'd argue is we'd like both as a young person. Right. But that's just well. Me. So I, I, if I were, if that were my experiment, and this is my hypothesis, then I would lay out and say, so for three years, I'm going to give you the option at the end of each year to either take fifteen thousand dollars cash. That's the highest level of bonus or for us to put $15,000 into your retirement fund and see what happens over the course of three years. Um, but I, uh, I am not opposed to teachers getting additional money. There's no harm in that, but the way it's crafted right now, it says classroom teachers, and I am adamant that that, I don't think, fulfills the concern. I like to use the example, most special ed teachers don't have classrooms. There's something called low incidence. Those are kids who are in a self-contained classroom. Those special ed teachers have a classroom. But most special ed teachers um, serve, they don't have their own classroom. They're serving students who are placed in a number of classrooms. So uh, they'd be left out from the bonuses. Um, and there are other certificated positions in a building a librarian. And again, if our goal is to build relationship with kids, we know that that improves performance and testing scores, then shouldn't we be working and giving bonuses to everyone who's working with a kid? Um, so I'm not, I, I, I'm not sure how the governor asserts that this is an experiment because I'm not sure what the hypothesis is. Right. It's like, okay, that's well, what's your, it's like, yeah, you're assuming this is going to work, but you're not telling me. What's the measure of it worked? Yeah, exactly. Right. right. Okay. Now, I want to also get your thoughts on this because I know the governor had brought it up. Can I also talk with Senator Keel about this? The governor's stance on all that stuff going on with Texas and why he's very focused on that. Because he also, on, a, on an outside perspective, it almost seems like he keeps flip-flopping on his stance kind of on that on immigration as an issue. He's been like, oh, we could send the National Guard down there, but it's going to cost us a bunch of money. And it's like, we've got to defend that. But then also, like, when he gave his talk to the State Chamber of Commerce, he's like, oh, I'm very in favor of immigration. We need that in the state. I just kind of want to get your thoughts on that because those are two very distinctly different stances on the same topic. Yes, they are. And um, we... We had a briefing with the attorney general and then the state general, who is the director of the National Guard in Alaska, General Sachs. They briefed each of the caucuses. Um, and there is a federal standing request for states to send specific kinds of National Guard troops to help with the federal mission. So... Um, deployed under federal orders, paid for by the federal government, and the plan is for uh, a 20-person unit that is focused in, I'm not going to remember the name, the kind of helicopters. It's the smallest helicopters. It's not Chinooks. It's not Blackhawks. It's small patrol observer ones um, that would deploy in September from Alaska probably to Arizona, but assisting in U.S. border enforcement. Now, that's one where it costs Alaska nothing in that they're going on federal orders. Um, it does give those National Guard uh, members who are volunteering. It, it's also it's just a volunteer corps, um, and they would be fully paid, right? Some of our National Guard 
well, most 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 of our National Guard that's part-time work, you only get paid when you are on a deployment. So this would give the opportunity for those folks who want to volunteer, those 20 people, to have full-time employment and pay, costs Alaska nothing, uses a resource that um, our uh, National Guard general has said we can uh, share at that point, um, and that's good. It, but the briefing also included um, a slide deck of slides of the governor of Texas has asked states to send National Guard troops in units of 100 um, to help defend Texas' interpretation of border response. And that would uh, be on our own dime. And um, I am not supportive nor interested in Alaska spending its money on that. I would say that Alaska does, we have, you know, we are the only state. We have four international borders on our state. We're the only state with that, right? Our eastern border is Canada, a land border. Our southern border, a Canadian water border. Our uh, southwest border into international waters, closest neighbor being Russia, the Arctic border into international waters, and then you could say, you know, is it uh, the, the closest border is Russia, Canada, Norway. Um, so we have borders all around us, and I would say we've got some major invasive species issues and border issues that we should be working on, and I don't think we are adequately addressing them. So, um, uh, I, I don't uh, think it's a road that I, as a member of the Finance Committee, I'm not willing to, to have us spend our state dollars on that mission at this point, uh, to go to Texas and um, have our troops under the command of Texas uh, National Guard. Okay. Now, the, the last really big topic I wanted to hit with you is obviously what's going on with the Juneau School District and some of their thoughts about consolidating schools. And just want to hit that topic with you as well before we get to well, the end of the show. I'm, gonna, I'm going to tell you what I have said to constituents who've written in and asked that I participate in that. I am not going to share with it. Um, I have an amplified voice and platform as a member of the House. But I have no bigger say in it. We have two elected bodies who have a direct say in it, our school board and our city assembly. And um, I believe that all, I'm trying, I am trying to stay abreast of it and all the but, but I haven't, and with that said, I know there was a Wednesday night meeting, and I haven't read nor reviewed the conclusions from that. And they're not conclusions, right? Each of these are different venues to get public input. So I haven't, I've, I've had a really busy week, and so Wednesday nights I'm not up on. But prior to that, all of the options I've seen um, include school con consolidations of some sort, um, everything from, you know, closing one of the high schools, closing one of the middle schools, reconfiguring our neighborhood elementary schools by age groupings or con consolidation. And so 
Um, I believe that that we will see some school consolidation, but I am not going to weigh into that fray because I think it's an unfair and inappropriate action for me as a member of the House of Representatives. When we have a, a elected school board, we, every one of our schools currently has a volunteer site council and um, whatever actions that the school board takes, the assembly will need to be involved with those dialogues at the end. And so I would encourage families to either participate those or engage with the school board directly. All right, on that, I think that'll wrap up about our time for today. Representative Hand, thank you very much for coming in and chatting with me. I know it's a new format, and it's going to take some getting used to, but I mean, I think it's good because I didn't have to cut you off in the middle of it. You could just you could <laughs> just, just ramble go. on. Just say what you need to say, but thanks for coming in today. Thank you, Jordan. It's always good to see you and, and chat. Action Line. Weekday mornings. Action Line. If it happens in Southeast, you'll hear it on Action Line. K-I-N-Y.